Welcome to Marketing Talks, a podcast that unpacks the careers of marketing leaders by providing insight on how they are growing the brands and organizations they are a part of. Learn practical tips and strategies on how you can grow within marketing while avoiding mistakes along the way. Hey everybody, my name is Jonathan Kaur and in today's marketing talk, I have the pleasure of speaking to one of the partners for the Statement Group, which uses proprietary data to help brands get a more defined marketing and content strategy. My guest today, Nick Domingo, has 12 years of experience in sports, music, and entertainment industries working for and with companies like Viacom, Maxim, Bleacher Report, and FH. M Magazine. He is also currently an editor at Bro Bible, Green Entrepreneur, and is a mentor at the University of Washington Foster School of Business. Thanks for hopping on this call, Nick. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Awesome. Well, let's kick this off right away. So, you know, COVID-19 and and really this pandemic has had a huge effect on a lot of people. So this is kind of a two-parter. Normally it's just one question, but you know, how are you currently adjusting to the pandemic? And then my follow-up question is, you know, one of my recent guests um, recently who, who you, I'll, I'll let you share who that is and, and uh, your affiliation as well. Um, recently had a life, you know, I, I would say changing situation through this pandemic. So my first question is, how are you doing with it to uh, yourself? And then how are you adjusting with, you know, this, this person that you're adjusting with it as well? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I appreciate you not letting the cat out of the bag too too quickly into the conversation. But uh, to answer your first part of the question on how I'm dealing with the pandemic, you know, it's it's interesting building a, a business. My uh, business partner Corey Jones and I have talked about it over the past eight months. I mean, we came into this pivoting our business strategy from content creation, looking for clients at the end of 2019. We got really great momentum in January and early February about that that aspect of the business you know we were going out saying here are brands we can help you develop that content we pivoted got this proprietary data and thought you know that's now another piece of it but what we can actually do is white label this thing and send it to brands and say either a you guys can have the data for yourself analyze it internally and create the content or b we analyze the data work with you internally and then we create the content because we have 25 plus years of doing that um, with all that, that momentum, COVID hits. And now we're sitting there thinking, you know, we're, we're screwed basically, you know, we're, we're thinking we're not closing deals as quickly as we think. Luckily we have, I don't know if it's a good or bad trait, but we have the trait of patience right now. And we're looking at it as bright side. And we're saying, you know, although we haven't closed deals in the past eight or nine months as quickly as we've wanted to, or as frequently as we wanted to, and we've got a few clients that we're working with or talking to, the best part of all of this for us is the fact that we're now having the time to continue our outreach. So instead of being bogged down by the actual work, we're actually finding that we're getting more conversations and that by the end of all this, our hope is that, okay, instead of maybe 10 in the pipeline with clients and the people we're collaborating with, maybe we have 15 to 20 because we put in the work now. We're not just sitting back waiting for some of these things to go. So as you know, and any good marketer knows, I mean, it's all relationship building. And so for us, that's kind of what we're focusing on right now. So our revenue isn't as, as high as we have really, you know, we anticipated at the beginning of the year. I mean, we, st- we set strong, ambitious goals to, to hit this year. Unfortunately, you know, you, you adapt with the times. 
And then your second part of the question, you know, in terms of the, the cat out of the bag, uh, you know, you mentioned this person who's close to me. Her name happens to be Christy Zook, who I know is a recent guest of, of yours and actually how we got in contact and, and connected on, on LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, to those who don't know her story, in a nutshell, she lost her job twice um, in 2020 uh, and got booted from the country back here to Canada. And so she having to be, you know, up here, me being in Seattle, we had to work away from each other for a month. We had just moved into a new house. We, um, you know, we're struggling with what everyone else is struggling with. Luckily, both of us are, are pretty optimistic people, for better or worse. And we thought the light at the t end of the tunnel wasn't a train coming at us, but actually something that we were we were marching towards to get out of this situation. And um, you know, we're we're happy, we're healthy. Our friends and 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 family are happy and healthy. And so for us. It's just kind of going about it and, and, and keep grinding and seeing whenever this thing can end. So I appreciate you asking, but we're we're doing well. Um, it could obviously be better, but we're looking forward to the day that she can come back to Seattle. We can kind of turn the page on that chapter and, and move towards the next one. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully sooner than later. She's a, she's a great uh, marketer, but great individual as well. So I, I uh, everything, and obviously you know her really well yourself. Um, th there's a few things there that I actually want to unpack, but I'm going to wait till a little bit later once we get to the section and, and really the season of life that you're at right now. Um, but really to start this conversation, um, which is mainly focused on unpacking your career, you, you and I were having a conversation how traditionally within a context of an organization, marketers or marketing tends to be a little bit more introverted, less in your face, more behind the scenes, whereas sales is a lot more obviously customer facing, you know, they're, they're uh, I would argue, I'm not, I'm not going to say everybody is, but I would argue majority of them are extroverted as well. Um, and, and so um, the reason I, I really want to start this podcast is really to unpack people's careers, to really ask those questions. Okay, why did you make this decision? Why did you go that way? And this first question really has to do with, you know, going back to your undergrad, uh, you majored in English from the University of Kentucky. And uh, looking on your LinkedIn, I saw that you're after graduating, a year after you graduated, you started a job in marketing and, and events working at Viacom. So my question is, how and why did you decide to go down the route of uh, marketing? Yeah, so, you know, the old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, I've, I haven't necessarily, you know, breathe that every single day. But in that circumstance with the CMT job, it was absolutely what happened. And so, you know, I graduated, as you mentioned, from UK with an English degree. And the whole reason why I even switched to English was because, not even kidding, one course, and it was accounting. And the first couple uh, classes I took accounting at, at UK, I struggled so, so much with, with, you know, being up all night to study for these exams. And I was like, I'm studying, working my ass off to try and get a B in this class. And I'm just not, you know, understanding the concept and putting, putting together what I think I, I need to do to be able to like be successful in this. And so I started doing some creative writing classes. I started talking to my, my counselor and I said, you know, is there something that I should be doing other than marketing and management? And she said, well, it sounds like you really love writing. And so midway through junior year, that late in my college career, I actually switched to English. And I think it was the best decision for a lot of reasons. I could go down a rabbit hole of what came from that, uh, both short-term and long-term, but it really gave me an understanding of, 
okay, for the first two and a half years of my college career, it was all marketing, it was all management, it was all advertising type of, of uh, classes. And then for me to switch to English, it was before all copywriting and digital content and the focus on content being king was even an idea. And so for me, I got a really good mix in my college career early on. And then when I moved into CMT, I had always worked events. When I worked at University of Kentucky Athletic Department in media relations, I was kind of dabbling in marketing, media, writing, editing, and obviously events because I was present at you know, basketball games, football games, soccer games, you name it. And so for CMT, when they came to me, my, my two buddies who worked there asked me to go on the road with them for, for the uh, event and mobile marketing uh, job. I thought it's a no brainer. I get to hang out with my buddies, go on the road, go to things like, uh, you know, this, the New Mexico State Fair and Summerfest up in Milwaukee, uh, a couple events around Chicago, obviously related to, to country music with CMT. But it was just fun to get out there and, as you said, be extroverted, talk to people, be creative, you know, see what worked, see what didn't, um, really get people out of their shell of just, I'm at an event, but really giving them an experience. And so that's how I got to do it. And, and, you know, you'll hear me say a lot, I'm all about the story. And that was exactly what I got to do when I was at that, at that job is tell the story to someone to leave a memorable experience with them. Yeah, that's honestly something I see across your entire uh, LinkedIn and online. Just like a lot of your uh, intent is behind telling a specific story or a specific narrative. So this is more of a a curious question, more more on your English degree. So I've met a lot of marketers or or, um, I haven't met every single marketer, but marketers that I have met, um, specifically copywriters some of them are really good at you know persuasive writing you know specifically copywriting for like sales letters stuff like that but the editing piece or the grammat the, the, the grammatical piece is always an issue and i 100% hold myself into that my wife actually helps me edit a lot of my copy because i'm just not i'm, I'm just I'm, that's just not a strength for me so i'm curious what uh have you noticed that to be true or is it not true? And then also too, how has your ability to major in English like helped your grammatic, like the grammatical side of, of writing and, and really communicating a certain point or, point or narrative? Yeah. I mean, you know, we all have our different strengths. We all, you know, I'm not great at X, Y, Z. And even the things I'm really good at, I'm not an expert or I'm great at. That being said, I do find that my editorial and, and writing background absolutely helps when it comes to copywriting, comes up with, you know, developing a brief or strategy for content. Because, you know, what I really pride myself on, and Corey does this as well, and this is what we say to, you know, in any meeting when we're talking to, to potential clients for the statement group, is we have always worked with qualitative data. And so in, in saying that, it's, we're really good at creating a story and putting that story on paper because it's what we've done forever. And so when we switch it over now to the quantitative data, we're able to now do that even better because we have better insights. And so because of what you, know, you mentioned and what I just, I just said about the data and the, the quantitative side, it's coming up with a, a ball of clay and understanding how do you put that into, into a story. And we've just been really good at that on being able to do it on paper, in video, um, however you name it, we've, we've been able to kind of do it. And so, yeah, I, I absolutely, you know, everyone talks about wanting to be a great communicator. 
And I don't know if I am or not. I think everyone can improve. I know myself. I can a lot. But when it comes to writing, absolutely. You know, it's the gr grammatical side of things. I don't even think, you know, a lot of people think about doing, um, you know, messing up when they're, they're writing. For me, I don't have to think about it. I can just flow as if I'm speaking and then go back and say, all right, maybe I need to correct this, change this, or oops, I misspelled a word. So um, it comes very natural to me, just like someone who, you know, swims every day is going to be a hell of a better swimmer than you or I who do it, you know, twice a year. So I think just my, because it's my everyday kind of role in editing and writing, it absolutely helps me get through on, on some of the marketing stuff. Yeah. And, uh, the, I'll, I'll segue into the next piece about Maxim, but I heard something on Twitter a while ago. There's this guy who posts a lot of really good content, really good copy. And obviously within Twitter, you have only X amount of characters to be able to communicate your point. And, and the reason, so there was a post he basically said is like, if you're able to write out what you're thinking, it, it allows for you to process the, the, a lot of the just understanding of what you're writing at a deeper level than just thinking it or than just processing it because it allows for you to actually tangibly get it on something as opposed to just in your thoughts. So all of that stuff resonates 100%. So you eventually transitioned into Maxim. So you mentioned you had a event in marketing, it's mobile marketing back, uh, uh, at least intro into marketing. Eventually you uh, pivoted into Maxim. Why did you decide to begin the process of actually going down the route of editor? And and obviously and, and you were talking about the marketing. It was, you know, you got to hang out with your friends, you got to be more extroverted, but how did that whole process happen for you? Ambition, baby. That's honestly why. I, I was working in a marketing firm in Chicago, working as, as an assistant account uh, coordinator, I think. You know, I was 23 years old, fresh out of college, moved to Chicago a year after I graduated, less than a year. Um, and I just, I, I didn't like it. I, I, I found myself going directly to the VP and the directors, and I was forcing myself to learn beneath them instead of going, this was a pretty big company, 250, 300 people in the office. I wasn't going to my direct manager. I was going to these people who, you know, I thought I can learn more under, I want to do more. And when I lost my job there, it was, it was sort of a mutual split. I had about six weeks in Chicago and had to make a decision. Do I want to go down this route or this route? And this first route was continue, continuing to live in Chicago, living this marketing life. I mean, it's so big there and I hadn't had any um, experience obviously in on an uh, even a local level of editorial stuff besides just some internships. And by pure luck, uh, this job at Maxim was posted back in Nashville at the time, which is where I had moved from anyway, and applied, went in the day after 4th of July. Uh, I remember I was burnt. I looked like a lobster had this interview I was late for because I couldn't even find the office. I roll in, I meet who now is my business partner, Corey Jones, who was my boss at Maxim. So 11 years ago, I met him and interviewed him and it didn't even feel like an interview. It was just like two guys hanging out. It's, it's like I had already known him. He was asking me more about the weekend and, and what I was interested in. And obviously a few things about writing, put me under a writing test and they gave me the job. And uh, that's kind of why I pivoted into it is because I knew that similar to what I said about my college experience, I can write for 15 hours a day. 
I love it. I love telling stories. I love entertaining people. And I thought that at the marketing job at the time, you know, going to an office every day and not really having the impact that I wanted, I, I just I didn't enjoy. And so I had to make a decision at 23, 24 years old, you know, what's going to make me happiest. And I was just fortunate enough that, that Maxim worked out. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, self-awareness to the max. And then also to really understanding like, hey, what do you want to do? And because you had already been going down this route. So naturally, people end up just kind of staying where they're going. But you obviously took it on yourself to really be self-aware and ask yourself that. So uh, I'm glad that piece worked. And so uh, one of the things I noticed in your career is, you know, you've been an editor uh, for several different, you know, uh, organizations and companies. And so, uh, there was an eventual switch from being an actual editor. And I'm not saying you weren't an editor during this season cause you were, but, uh, you went into more of a digital marketing specialist type role, senior content strategist, which I'm sure probably falls under some, some way associated with ed- uh, editorial content. Um, and then social media manager all the while being featured, being a featured columnist for the bleacher report. So, my question here is when, I, when I'm looking at, especially looking at uh, different editors, like, you know, backgrounds that they kind of like mesh and kind of blend together throughout their career. And so really to kind of unpack that piece is, did you have a goal in mind on why you're trying different marketing roles or were these just opportunities that were presented to you along the career path that you were going? I think a little bit of both. I, that You know, little behind the scenes secret from everyone watching and listening, you send the questions beforehand. And that was a question that I looked at and I thought, you know, how do I answer this one? Because it really was a little bit of both. Some of it's necessity. Some of it was pure luck. Some of it was, dude, I need a job and I'm going to go with this one. And for me, the end goal has always been to work for myself. And I've made that very, very clear throughout my career. Um, even the story I had told you before about, you know, where I was working in Chicago, like the reason I wanted to learn so quickly is because I've had goals in mind that by this age, by this time in my life, this is what I want to be doing. And that still continues obviously today. And I think it's important for all of us to do that. And so for these jobs, I knew that where I wanted to be was not going to be attainable by just being an editor. It wasn't going to be attainable by, you know, just writing. Um, I needed, I needed more. I needed to, I, and, and I still need more, you know, there's still things that I look at. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know that. And so for me, it's, I always take pride. You know, we mentioned Christy earlier. I always take pride when I tell her, I say, I love that some of my best friends are like, dude, we don't even know what the hell you do. Like, what, is, how do you make money? Like how I'm like, I do everything. I try to do everything. And it's because I don't want to be, you know, cast as a journalist, as an editor, as an entrepreneur, as a strategist, I'm like, I want to literally be doing everything that I'm interested in and I'm going to fail a hell of a lot more than I succeed. But even if I succeed at 10 or 15%, feel like I'm doing pretty, pretty well so that it comes back, you know, a year from now, six months from now, where that failure I learned from that will then turn into a success. So for me, I've always been, again, ambitious, hungry to learn, and eager to try and get get to work for myself. And I know I really have to be a jack of all trades and kind of a, a Swiss army knife in order to do that and extend beyond just writing. Yeah, for sure. And, and it, you know, 
I like the point that you're making and, and I'll give an illustration on who I thought of right away when you were mentioning this whole process, but it's like the whole, I had a previous pod, a podcast host mentioning like, you know, I don't want what I do to necessarily dictate what type of per or who I am. It's who I am. And I have all these functions that I do because you know, that's a part. And, and the person that came to mind, a great example that everybody knows is Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is a podcaster. Joe Rogan is a comedian. Joe Rogan is an MMA. He's in obviously he used to be on media on uh, fear factor different he's done so many things but at the end of the day this is joe rogan so in the same way the way you're describing is like hey although maybe from maybe it's a uh, unconventional route of you know graduating you know graduating marketing going into some corporate marketing you know career and then working your way up which isn't bad like i, I know a lot of people do that route and if that's your goal by all means, do it. But there's other people, which in which in your case, obviously, this is why it's helpful to unpack this. Your career is really understanding, okay, like there's so many things that you want to do within your life. Why just try one if if you have so many interests and, and so many other things? So I, I think that really, one, this actually segues uh, phenomenally into the next question, which is really about your last experience working uh, in-house as a... Uh, uh, I can't remember what the actual editorial director for a media company specifically working with FHM.com. And, and, and you and I had, you know, initially linked up a, a little bit, you know, prior to this recording. And so, you know, one of the things I, I noticed that you were talking about was, you know, how your work life balance and different things like that or lack thereof look like. And then also to some of the realizations, experiences that you went through that ultimately pivoted you into what now is, you know, the more recent part of your career. So would you mind explaining, you know, what life was like during that last specific like job, in-house job, and then what realizations and experience you went through in order for you to eventually pivot? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was at FHM, to give you some context, I was hired to rebrand the entire magazine. And so for those unfamiliar with FHM, uh, it stands for For Him Magazine. And it was, for a long time, one of the top male lifestyle magazines in the world. Um, they competed with the Esquires, GQ, Maxims of the world. Um, it was a little bit sophomoric and tongue-in-cheek in its humor, so it kind of hovered around more of the Maxim sense um, in, in terms of the audience. And they were trying to rebrand and say, we need to pivot our content strategy. And they were getting rid of the print and going only digital. And this was in 2016. And so they found me. I was lucky enough. I remember it so vividly. I was working on a Saturday. We linked up. Someone pushed me. Um, I'll, I'll drop all three of their names because I need to thank them at some point today um, to, for the, the experience. But she reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, hey, would you be interested in this? Responded right away. I had a little bit of qualm. And I was like, I don't know if I, I – this is legit. I was like, wait, FHM, this has been a magazine for 30 years. Like why, why do they want me? It was weird as confident as I am. It was a very weird realization that this would be it. Fast forward. I mean, for after I took the job seven or eight months, the joke within the walls at Bauer, which is the media company that used to own FHM was that it was nickdomingo.com. And you know, you mentioned the, the work-life balance or lack thereof. I was writing 14 or 15 articles a day. I was doing all the outreach. So I was trying to get celebrities, entertainers, athletes, fitness experts, you name it, to try and collaborate with us to do features on them. 
we were obviously, you know, my ambition was let's take this to a media company and make it an actual digital publisher. And at that point, 2016, 2017, we need podcasts and it can't just be me. It needs to be people who already have been successful creating content, people who already have a following. Um, we need video, you know, all these things. So it was, it was long days. And you know what? I've told you this before and I'll say it again. Wouldn't change a damn thing about it, man. I was working 80, 90 hours a week. Um, I wish I was lying. I know some people were probably just as much, if not more, but you always have to be on. There's breaking news that always can be written about and you have to understand how to turn it off. And I'm, I was really bad, really, really bad. I, I just cared way too much. But that said, the three people who I mentioned earlier, I need to give major props and thanks to Alison Mezzafonte, Christian Basler, and Kate Spees. I learned under the absolute best. They gave me the opportunity. They gave me the freedom. I remember talking to Kate, who is, you know, that she was the VP of, of editorial and social at, uh, of all the brands under the, the Bauer umbrella. I remember talking to her freaked out being like, Kate, you don't really like talk to me in our one-on-ones about work. Like it's like life and stuff. And she had said, she called me Nico. And she's like, Nico, I don't worry about you. You know, your brand, you do, you, 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 you know, your audience you know, I'm going to let you be. And given being able to hear that from boss and given that freedom, it was more so more of we were peers. It wasn't, I looked at her as if, you know, I'm doing something right or I'm doing something wrong. And same thing with Christian and Allison. They, they always supported me and said, go for it. Trial and error on, on all of this stuff as we rebrand. And so, um, you know what, it, it changed me for the absolute best. It gave me an uh, understanding of what I really, really want, an understanding of what I don't want, and an understanding of, all right, you lived that. It was great, but let's do it a little bit better and work a little bit smarter next time, not as hard um, when, when you do what I'm doing now, which is starting a company in a pandemic and still editing and writing for really high-end brands that, you know, deserve attention and, and, and need, um, top level and a plus production. So, um, yeah, it's, it just taught me a hell of a lot and, uh, I'm really appreciative to have gone through it, which a lot of people may not have, have thought working that long and that hard on something. Yeah. And, uh, I saw, uh, so I'm, I'm connected with, with one of my previous guests on LinkedIn and I actually saw you recently comment on one of his posts um, and I actually read it. You were talking something about, he, he had posted about like, you know, working 80 hours a week isn't productive and you ended up posting something or replying something along the lines of like smart work versus hard work. But the reason I'm, uh, the reason I'm pointing that out and, and here's, here's a piece is like, you actually went through the hard work and in through that process, through going through kind of the gauntlet of creating content at scale and doing all these different aspects, wearing so many hats, you learn how to be more effective with your time. You learn how to be smarter with, like you said, you had the realization, okay, like this is not sustainable, but there are, there, there are some tweaks, there are some changes that you can make. And so, um, 
the reason I want to point that out is I, I think sometimes people use the smart work as a cop out out of hard work. Like initially you get to start working hard if you don't know specifically what to do or how to you know build something from the ground up. But then over time you start learning those hacks. You start learning like what actually matters. What's the 20% of time, resources, energy that produces 80% of the results. And so what you're saying is, you know, I, I, I really wanted to kind of point that little piece out specifically to the audience here. Um, so eventually after FHM, and you said it was a great experience, but there was a lot of realizations too on your shelf, you and I think it was three other co-founders eventually started uh, New Money. And so my question is, you know, what inspired this venture right out of, you know, pivoting out of a FHM uh, magazine and, and to starting New Money? Yeah, so uh, it was two executives at, at Bauer who came to me, um, surprisingly came to me, and asked if I wanted to do new money. And it was a um, millennial money site, essentially. You know, we, we know that how many kids are in debt from, you know, college or credit card or whatever. And we thought we need to educate people, you know, our age, you know, how to spend money, save money. And I saw an opportunity. I knew that from FHM, that was something that always performed well. I knew from days prior, you know, at Bro Bible when I was there before uh, taking the FHM job, that that type of content resonates because you're always going to have a new 19 or 20 year old making stupid money mistakes. We've all been there. And so we really honed in, focused on, you know, certain keywords and uh, optimization on, on obviously these pages, got people um, who knew how to write for SEO and, and to, to show up in search because we didn't have a lot of money to promote it and, and, you know, bump it up in ads and stuff. And so they just came to me and said, dude, do you want to be the chief content officer here and, and run this thing and help us build it? I said, why not? Like I have nothing else going on. I just lost my job at FHM and you know, I'm, I'm the type of person who would much rather risk than play it safe. And so we did that and it was great for six months, unfortunately, which happens, you know, um, for all you entrepreneurs out there, as you can definitely uh, probably relate to, you know, they had to go their separate ways. They both lived in New York, had families and said, you know, we, we really need to be making more money than we are. And so I said, you know, sucks to hear, but absolutely support you and understand. And I think, the six months that we we did what we did, we saw success. It just wasn't as immediate as we thought. And, you know, you learn from it. So it was a great opportunity for me to just continue to extend um, something I was interested in and passionate about at the time, um, more so than I am probably now uh, in terms of the, the content and the, the overall strategy of what new money was and the concept. Um, and, yeah, just – learn from again that that opportunity and and say what what can i do now differently than i did two years ago when we first did that yeah uh so so, so i was gonna ask you how did you process that that piece the you know the other co-founders saying you know hey we're looking at stopping this obviously like you had mentioned it, it just in business in general if you're an entrepreneur some things work some things don't for whatever reason but how did you process that and ultimately segue obviously into now, you know, being a partner at the statement group. But what was that initial like process like during the actual breakup of the, you know, that piece? Oh, I was pissed. I cut him out of my, no, I'm just kidding. I, uh, I accepted it. You know, again, everyone's got 
um, their own story, their own reasons, their own factors for things. And these are two guys who, again, high level executives, they were probably making good money and, uh, at their full-time jobs. And, and when they weren't at, you know, their prior position at, at Bauer media thought we need a certain level of income. And so for me, it was, it was a lot of stuff. I mean, whether it was the money factor, whether it was, you know, us collaborating, um, we, we, we just didn't do a good job of communicating as frequently as we needed to, I think. And, you know, you're, you're, you're hustling in one side to make money to keep the lights on and pay the bills. Then on the other side, you're also trying to like build a company and, you know, not that those guys weren't cut out for it. They've done it before. They'll do it again, I'm sure. But in our trio, it just, it just wasn't a good fit at that time. And uh, it's unfortunate, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So, so eventually you sw- swapped over into, you know, becoming a partner with the statement group with, with your buddy, Corey, you had mentioned which you initially met at Maxim in Nashville. How did that opportunity come about? How did that reconnection there like happen? And, and, and ultimately obviously uh, become the statement group. Yeah. Um, I, I love telling the story. It's he'll probably laugh when he hears this. It's a, it's a true love story between Corey and me, I think. And uh, it's, you know, he was my boss at Maxim and I looked at him very similarly to the executives and directors at that marketing agency I mentioned to you that I worked at in Chicago. I looked at him as a mentor and I knew he'd been successful after Maxim. He went on and, and literally revamped Playboy. He oversaw the site and then was put over the magazine. Um, he's got a great story, which he always jokes is better told over a few cocktails where he had to pitch Hugh Hefner at the Playboy Mansion what a non-nude Playboy would look like, which, you know, he he says on his career tombstone, that will be, you know, on his career tombstone. It's like he was the guy responsible for that. And so I knew this, that, that you know, he's got experience, he's he knows what he's doing. And after seeing success for myself at FHM and other spots, I thought I just need to reach out to him. You know, I, I had just launched something new on my own. And I wanted to get his, his input to make sure I knew what I was doing and not just drawing eyeballs. I can drive eyeballs to a website and, and grow a brand, but how do you convert that to money? Cause I, I don't care if I have 4 million people a day looking at a website, if that's not converting to income, you're just not doing your job. And so just wanted to ask him, you know, what, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing right? He, he calls me Nikki D and he says, you know, Nikki D you just don't have five of you, man. Like, you're doing everything you can. It's just you don't have the support to scale this thing. Conversations led to, you know, down the, the road with, you know, months down the road, we ended up saying, all right, let's pivot into sort of a agency style um, a group, essentially. And he had always had the statement group as a consulting business for him, uh, himself on the side. I kind of dropped creating original content for the venture I had had started and we formed together with the statement group. And now we're doing what I mentioned before, which is, you know, creating content for brands, talking to brands more so about how we can create content or develop content and strategy around marketing, sales, um, editorial, all of that using our proprietary data. So, it's different for us. I mean, we're putting on our sales and marketing hats now, which is very much out of our realm, but it is so fun to do, man. I mean, it is, 
it's something that I've, I've always wanted to try. And it's just, we get amped about like a, a meeting with a CMO or CEO of a company. And I know that most people are like, dude, we do that every single day. I'm like, we're editorial guys. Like this is, this is awesome, man. We like are stoked about it. And some of the people we're talking about are talking to about this is uh, they're big brands and, and it's, you know, humbling that we either have contacts or just, just smart enough to, to be charming enough to get, you know, a, a, a phone call and follow up with these, these brands and these people who have been so successful. So that's kind of how it came. We just, we thought we need to pivot in a time of, you know, all this content overload. How do we be smarter and not just say, Hey, here's why we think you should do something and really say, here's why we think you should do something because literally the data it's showing what your audience over indexes for. And you'd be stupid to go against that. Um, and that's, yeah, the rest right now is kind of history and, Excited to see where we continue to grow, um, you know, after all of this stuff. Well, not even after, just during and after all this pandemic stuff, you know, clears up. Yeah, that's super encouraging. And and uh, yeah, it's uh, the the grind, the whole process right now of really building this is uh, it's, you know, you, you and I were talking about like it was, it's fun. It's scary. It's confusing. It's unclear. It's all these things, especially given the pandemic but there's no other way you would want to have it. Like there's no other way. <laughs> you, know, you can choose comfort. You can, you could choose uh, adventure. You and I have chosen adventure and I think it's, uh, it's fun to do that route, you know? Yeah. So, so you're a partner now for this company. You've been an editor, senior editor, editorial director, editor in chief. What makes a good editor? Listening, patience, um, allowing, understanding people, I think is more than, a, more than anything an important part of the edit, editorial process. It's not understanding words. It's not understanding grammar. It's allowing your writers to be themselves, have them have a voice, have them have personalities, and really reward concepts. I mean, when you talk to writers and you ask them, what do you want to write about today? If they have five good ideas, say, okay, all, great, all, all five are great, but how do we make them better? How do we continue to get you excited to write about this? I think, you know, as a writer, editor, whatever, you know, as someone who develops content, you always want to push yourself. You always want to, you know, test yourself. We're, we're always continuing to grow. And so as an editor, it's, it's understanding what's going to get someone into the page. And that's a strong headline and a strong deck without revealing too much and without being clickbaity. Screw clickbait. Like, get that out of here. You then have to support that with the actual content. It has to be well-written. It has to be, you know, something that, that you know, for me, who's often writing about mainly sports stuff and um, entertainment content, it has to be something that sparks uh, it hits a nerve. It, it causes a reaction. It causes a debate. I saw a guy yesterday who I wrote an article on the, on our Facebook page. It was like, Nick Domingo is so brave, highly sarcastic. And I'm like, I love that. Call me out, you know, like make fun of me. Tell me if it's not well written. I've said this for 10 years, you know, like I want honest feedback as a writer and I want honest feedback as an editor. And if what we're pr producing or what I'm producing isn't up to snuff, let us know, dude, because you're going to learn from it. And if you love it, 
I feel like something's wrong if everyone says this is great. I don't want to hear that. Tell me, be honest with me. Tell me it sucks and, and we'll be better. So it's honestly listening, adapting, and just allowing your writers and the people you work with to really thrive off being themselves. Because in a creative industry like uh, we're in, marketing, editorial, content creation, all of that, that's what's going to make you successful are doing things that are so different and allowing people to run with those ideas. As long as they're thought out and they're strategized the right way, the execution, put it together on paper, then go do a badass job on the execution side, you're going to be successful. Yeah, that's a lot of great wisdom and insight from you know your 12 years of experience, specifically in editorial marketing. So if you had a chance today to sit down with Nick Domingo, fresh out of UK, fresh, you know, just graduated with his English degree. What advice would you tell him specifically based off of everything similar to what you just shared and everything that you know now? Initially, I thought trust the process, but it's too cliche. I honestly wanted to kind of revamp it to trust your damn self. And I think it's, you know, understanding that, and I say this a lot to Chrissy with what she's going through. Yesterday, great day. You did podcasts. You had an interview with the CMO. You had two phone calls with, you know, sports franchises and email communication to set up phone calls with the, this pitch for the data product. Nothing today should matter. Nothing, nothing today should be worse than what yesterday was. And I'm so... We all we all need to practice patience, but for me, I absolutely need to be like, look, man, this is not going to happen overnight. You're not going to get to zero to a thousand in 24 hours because you sent 50 email pitches last night. And I think for me, it's trust the damn process, trust your damn self to understand that you know what you're doing, you're doing the best you can, and not making it personal if you don't hear back or you get a no. And it's as someone super competitive, I had done that in the past and I'm starting over the past few years getting out of that. Like, it's not you, it's, you need to work on maybe your pitch or your communication and, and learn from that. But that's absolutely what I would have told myself 15 years ago. It's, you know, man, like just, just stick with what you know, continue to adapt and learn. You'll be fine. That's great. I like that a lot. Uh, super relevant, especially now during these times, the pan pandemic uncertainty and stuff like that. So I'm going to transition now into the last uh, part of this uh, interview, which is a rapid fire questions. There's a lot of other questions I wish I could have got to, but just for sake of time, we're going to transition into the last piece. And so my first question to you right now, specifically uh, when it relates to software tools, and I know you're an editorial, what, what is your favorite marketing tool or software that you're currently using, uh, within your, you know, work? Yeah, for me, it's more so Trello. Um, we use it a lot at, uh, at FHM and it's just, I hate being unorganized and, and I think it gives us all visibility into what you're working on. And it's not as in a micromanaging tool. It's a tool of, hey, we're going to write something, we want feedback before we post it. Um, here are some tasks that you guys have to, you know, knock out of your, on your list and here, you know, top priority and all that. So that for me is probably the one that's been the most helpful, especially as someone who works in content where you need quick turnarounds. I mean, you know, we have deadlines, 
um, if something needs to be written and, and published in 15 minutes, how do we get a hold of each other? Boom, you get a, get a notification, you look at it, everyone gets eyeballs. You know that that's top priority and of most importance, like let's do it. So that, that would be it for me. Awesome. Uh, so my next question is, uh, what is a favorite online marketing course or maybe even editorial, some sort of like class that you've taken online that uh, has been beneficial for you? You know, I'm going to be as completely uh, transparent as possible. I, I don't really do a whole lot of online classes. I, for me, I should, but I'm so focused, you know, head down sprinting on what we're working on that I don't really have an opportunity to step away and, and look at something, read something, take something. And again, I can't wait to have the opportunity to do it. But right now, you know, being consumed by media all the time and working in it, for me, I find, let's just get out for a run. Let's get out for a walk. Let's cook, do some other hobbies. So I will give you an update on that once I can, I, I have more time and interest. So let's uh, call that to be determined for right now. For sure. And, and, and no need to feel bad. I've, I've had probably five or so guests say the same thing. Um, uh, one of them replied saying life, you know, I learned by doing, I learned by actually being in the trenches. So that's, that's a great way to learn. I, I, I just figured like I, I'm, I've actually been debating maybe potentially changing this question because the goal here is like, you know, what, what are other resources marketers can look at, you know, potentially leveraging. So I'll, I'll, uh, and the reason I'm saying this is so I can actually, you know, when I edit this whole process, I can make a note of finding a, a more creative way of actually maybe getting some sort of resource, um, you know, tip or, or, or trick specifically. So uh, the, the the last two questions. So the second and last one is, you know, what is your favorite marketing or business book that you've read up to this point? Four hour work week. I mean, I know it's so stupid. It's so old and everyone's read it, but um, that really left a impact on me to say, this is how you can live your life. You know, you, uh, you do not have to do what's quote unquote normal. And I've never been quote unquote normal. And so for me, um, you know, it left an impact on not necessarily the same process of hiring these people and outsourcing this, but the idea of, you know, you can, you can have this life, what you've grown up seeing or hearing of a nine to six job, going to an office, getting all dolled up, not necessarily what you want. And it's not necessarily what everyone wants. And so reading that book meant a lot to be like, it's okay to feel like you're weird to think this way and it's okay to actually do it. And so uh, that would be the book for me. It's a great book. Yeah. I lo love Tim Ferriss. So my last question, which normally is one specific care, uh, type of, so, so my question is who is your favorite marketer, but I'm uh, for you specifically, I'm going to open it up to, you know, editorial writer or just writer in general, who's your favorite, you know, marketer or editor, um, that you've e that you either have worked with closely or have, or have admired from afar. So there's kind of two. Uh, the first one would be, I just like his LinkedIn content and it's Shane Snow, uh, the chief, chief, I think cre creative officer, content officer at, uh, contently. He does great stuff on LinkedIn. Anyone like myself who is either a, a veteran entrepreneur who's kind of bounced around, uh, a new entrepreneur or someone who's thinking about starting their own business. He has great insight and just someone who inspires you to 
try and, you know, push yourself and, and go down the right path. Uh, the other one would be Bill Simmons as an edit, editorial guy. I mean, he's kind of, you know, the, the dream scenario started writing in his basement, got a job at a local Boston, I think website launched a website, ESPN came calling and now he's done what he's done, you know, working with Connor shell and those guys at ESPN initially on the 30 for 30 series. And, you know, for someone who has always said writing will always be there. It's he went from writing and the grind of that into all of these other creative fields of sponsorships, partnerships, uh, video, you know, production, directing, writing, all of that stuff kind of mixed. And so for me, the way that he's been able to market himself and give himself a voice to kind of these sports nuts, that's a guy who I've always looked up to. I mean, it's, it's different now, but, uh, you know, I think he's he's always been a guy that for the past 20 plus years, everyone in my space has been like, that's the OG right there, man. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not super into the, you know, editorial space, but I'm familiar with the name Bill Simmons. So you can, you know, like if you hear that, you'll at least, okay, this is someone like that at least have that, that at least is an OG or, you know, within some sort of writing capacity. So. Uh, if people are interested in learning more about, you know, what you do, the type of content you're writing, or even more about um, the, the the company that you're building right now with Corey, uh, where, where, you know, where can they connect with you and where can they find some of these other resources? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the, the easiest would be through LinkedIn. Um, I mean, I'll throw out my phone number and email, man, if people want it, you know, give me give me a text 330-554-1726, uh, you know. And Domingo at Gmail. I mean, I, I'm all about just creating conversations and relationships. And so if there's an opportunity out there for anyone listening who, you know, is looking to try and take their, their business to another level um, and is looking for content and smarter marketing campaigns, you know, Corey and I can, can deliver that through our data. And so hopefully from this and, and our conversations, you know, there's some someone or multiple people who are interested in, in chatting. So, um, yeah, that's where they can find me. Awesome. Well, great. Thanks again, Nick, for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge, experience, resources with me in the marketing community. Absolutely. Jonathan, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having me on and, uh, taking the time this morning to, uh, to chat. So looking forward to continuing our relationship, moving forward, connecting, kind of, you know, parlaying all of our collaboration together to see what, what happens down the road. So thanks so much. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show to receive more content like today's episode.